really, truly a great honor for me to be here today um, to see all you distinguished folks, old young and all those middle ones in between. It's great. Um, thanks for the video. I won't have to talk about that old stuff. I want to talk briefly about my line of work, which is space exploration. How many people in the audience think that their lives have been touched by explorations in space? Well, I think you're right. We haven't seen anything yet. It's in its infancy. And everybody in this room is in the line of work in the business of space exploration, and we're all together. Why do we do space exploration anyhow? It's the law. The National Air and Space Act of 1958. Our number one bullet is to expand human knowledge of the phenomena of the atmosphere and space. And in 1980, Congress threw in, and of the Earth too. So it's an incredibly big job that we're all into here. We have it all. Maybe in 1958, when they passed the law, Congress thought that space went from here to Kalispell. Well, I got into space, luckily, in 1961. President Kennedy said, we put a man on the moon and return him safely to Earth in this decade. I like that part about returning safely to Earth. <laughs> we did the Apollo program with six of seven lunar missions, did land on the moon, and return those people safely to Earth. And it was due to dedicated people, not those machines. It was the people's hard work and devotion that made it happen. All of us who sit on top of rockets for space exploration owe those folks an awful lot. One of the really impressive things about going to the moon is one of the things we saw on the way to the moon is the whole Earth view. You saw it in that video. About a half an hour out when you're going to the moon, you can see the whole Earth, about the size of a basketball. And for the flat earth people, it's round. <laughs> it is in beautiful colors in three dimensions. No camera has ever done it justice. And it's surrounded by the blackest black you'll ever see in your life. Many people have called it a shining jewel in the vast oasis of space. But that's just not so. From studying historical geology supported by our moon, our moon explorations, we all know planet Earth hangs in there. It's a true survivor. It's been around for 4.6 billion years. Our planet has outlasted many, many tough and accommodating life forms. Now, all of us need to make sure that humans are not the next life form for Earth to outlast. Now, how can we do that? This is where you all come in, you young folks. Our experiences in aeronautics and space exploration has told us something. We really do not know as much as we need to know to ensure our survival. We need to do just what the National Aeronautics and Space Act requires. We must expand human knowledge. We need to gain new knowledge faster and use that knowledge to help us innovate and create and solve our problems. When y'all are growing up in the middle of the next decade or so, our problems today on Earth will seem, with over five billion people now, will seem truly insignificant when that Earth population doubles in the next century. We did do a moon landing up there at Descartes in the Highlands. It's a spectacularly beautiful place. It has beautiful bright red craters. And we found some things up there when we landed on the moon 
that we didn't ex expect to find. That's what exploration is all about. We found very old rocks, some of them four and a half billion years old, of an unpredicted rock type. We discovered that the moon had an ancient magnetic field. We put the first telescope on the moon, and we found, uh, took ultraviolet pictures of planet Earth. If you get the chance, you all will live to, to work and live in lunar gravity, in one-sixth gravity. It's very handy. It provides you exceptional mobility, and you can find your equipment. In zero gravity, when you drop a pencil, you may never see that guy again. Never. If we had a moon base the size of this tent right here, you could strap on wings and fly around it like a bird. One-sixth gravity, they only weigh 20 or 30 pounds. That's great. Apollo was a major national program. Brought back a new data about the moon, and it's still telling us things. Still telling us things. It's talking to us every day when we look at it. Sometimes I don't think we're listening. Bob Crippen and I were lucky enough to take the first shuttle to orbit. It was an interesting test flight. We had about 20 unpredicted things happen going up and coming back. The machinery was still ama amazingly successful, and it's still an awesome way to get to orbit. The hydrogen turbines, for example, they're state-of-the-art. Those turbines have 65,000 horsepower and are kept in a place about the size of a Volkswagen automobile engine. If you had that kind of power in your Volkswagen, and you gave it some gas, you might end up on Mars. <laughs> Transportation really is what the shuttle is. It's a way to get payloads to and from orbit. Since that first launch in 1981, we put 56 missions up there and delivered 670 payloads into orbit, and we have people up there right now on planet patrol, believe it or not. It's what those payloads that are up there are doing It's making for a progress for us that's important. And progress needs to leads to change. And you all will be right in the middle of them. It's going to be spectacular. Just let me talk about a, a payload we're deploying the next, next flight when we go up, the Advanced Communications Technology Satellite. It's going to allow spot beams. And those spot beams will allow supercomputer networking. And I predict it will be delivered to little bitty antennas on planet Earth. And when you have the free, free flow of information to little bitty antennas on Earth, there's no way in the world that repressive governments can stand that. You'll see. China was almost overthrown by data facts recently. We haven't seen anything yet. And of course, it'll change the arts and the sciences. And y'all ought to be thinking about ways when you get in the arts and sciences, you use some of that. Because it will not only lead to high-definition television, but it'll also lead to programs where people are sitting in their living room with virtual te technology goggles watching holograms in real time. It's going to be something, and I think it'll be a new medium that will just change everything we do in communications. You know, most of our problems in the world today are caused by the inability of people to communicate one to another. So we need to keep working on that. Our upper atmosphere research satellite that we, we just put up there, we found out we don't know beans about the upper atmosphere. This is the forerunner of the Earth observing satellite systems. The Earth observing satellite system is going to dump the equivalent of the Library of Congress to Earth every day. Millions of jobs on the outside are going to be needed to reduce that data and make sense out of it. But I predict we'll totally change the way we predict the weather in 25 or 30 years, and we'll be a lot smarter about it. The Hubble Space Telescope, an incredible piece of machinery, even with all its troubles. It makes a new discovery about our local solar system, our galaxy, and the universe about once a week. We're going to have to repair that thing. It's very difficult. In zero gravity, 
We did the first Space Lab mission. Space Lab's a, a billion-dollar laboratory. We've had 96 days of Space Lab ops so far. It proves why people are valuable. The same reasons are great here on planet Earth. They worry, they scheme, they plot, they anticipate, and they can cope with totally unexpected failures. My old crew went from 50% success to more than 100% with, with uh, handling unanticipated events. And we started a thing called protein crystal growth. On Space Lab 1, we grew one crystal a thousand times larger than you can grow on Earth. More ordered protein, space-grown proteins crystal will aid rational drug design. It will be a big time saver. And your fields of medicine will be greatly affected for it. Also fields in agriculture and the manufacturing process and catalysts. I'll just give you one example. Scientists believe that space-grown protein crystals with rational drug design will allow us to save many, many years in developing new drugs to treat diseases such as cancer, rheumatoid arthritis, influenza, septic shark, emphysema, aging, and AIDS. Now, AIDS is a tough disease. AIDS is, but aging, I'll tell you, it's going to affect every one of us, believe it or not. I know you can never tell anybody in high school they're ever going to grow old, but you do. We need to fix that. <laughs> We're going to do that on the space station. We're going to do some of that on the space station. We need to grow about 150,000 protein crystals that affect the human body. And one of these days, we'll send human and machines to the planets, back to the moon, this time to say, if we can put a self-sustaining base on that moon, the Earth's uh, spin-offs will be enormous. Just example, one example, the self-sustaining closed-loop life support systems on the inhabited base on the moon will be about 100 times more efficient than Earth farming. Water use will be about 700 times more efficient than we can do on Earth right now. Are we going to need that? The people in the 21st century will need it when the population doubles, I'll guarantee you. Can we do it? I don't know. But if you don't try, you'll never know. I think it's a tough challenge we should tackle. Not because it's easy, but because it is tough. If we want the best out of you young folks, we're all, and we all want the best out of the future, it only comes from the brightest when they're challenged. Making progress when we can do it in every field not just aeronautics and space exploration, is essential to the future success of us humans on this planet. Of course, when you make progress, you also get the opportunity to make mistakes, mistakes that nobody's ever made before. And I want to guarantee you, I made a bunch of those. Somebody told me the other day, if they laid all the mistakes I'd made end to end, I'd be able to crawl up to the moon. Wouldn't be surprised. The expansion of human knowledge in a disciplined and rigorous manner is not just a ho-hum and evolutionary progress process. I believe it is our responsibility of humanity as members of the most capable and most powerful nation on this planet we live on. It is up to all of us, or many of us, to make sure we're not the next life forms for this tough old planet Earth to outlast. The science fiction writer H.G. Wells many years ago put it on the mark when he said, the future is a race between education and catastrophe. My 30 years of association with aeronautics and space exploration and many of your experiences every day give you pretty clear examples that show how right he was. If you look at the big picture, the evidence is clear. The human race is really at war. It really is. And it's a war for the survival of our species. And our enemy, pure and simple, is ignorance. And you see how tight I'm holding on to this. I'm terribly afraid of heights. You would not get me on the top of any rocket if I didn't think 
that discoveries from space exploration are essential elements in fighting that war. Many of us in the exploration business, and you young achievers, if you join us, will have the opportunity by your individual contributions to help us win our race to the future. Someday, I'm sure, some of you in this audience will be telling us about the beautiful sunsets on Mars, and in the process, making progress, advancing our knowledge for tomorrow. Thanks for listening.